Okay, saints, in this uh, message, of course, this message is message four, and the title of this message is The Will of God, Our Sanctification. Now, um, I would say commonly, this is not our natural thought, that sanctification is the will of God. But we will see, after we go through this outline, that it is truly the will of God. And we will see some points in this outline that um, Brother Lee really saw at the end of his ministry. And as he, I remember as he was sharing some of these points, he made this statement. He said, this is new light. This is new light. So we shouldn't take any of this for granted. We need to see this matter, and we need the spirit of reality to bring us into the reality of being sanctified day by day so that we can become the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, I would just like to read um, uh, maybe one verse, two verses to us at this point, and that's Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. This says that God chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him in love, predestinating us unto sonship through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, saints, now I would just say something at this point. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in eternity past to be holy, to be holy. And uh, to be holy, the definition of holy is to be different, distinct from everything that is common. And we'll see that, that uh, God himself is holy. He says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, that he is the holy one who has called us. And so he says, the Lord says through Peter, be holy in all your manner of life. For it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. So this tells us that God wants us to be the same as he is in his holy nature. And the fact that it says, because it is written, what uh, Paul was doing is he was going back to the book of Leviticus, and I'll just mention the verses in Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2. It says to God's people, you shall be holy because I am holy. Now, in Ephesians 1.4, it says that in eternity past, God chose us to be holy, predestinating us under sonship. Now we know that in eternity future, eventually by the Lord's mercy, we become the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now what takes place in between eternity past and eternity future? Well, what takes place in between eternity past and eternity future is that we are being sanctified. And we will see to be sanctified is on the one hand to be separated unto God positionally. That's through his redeeming blood. 
but it, it's also even more to be sanctified is to be saturated with God dispositionally. And what that means, is, what this means again, is that we're saturated with God, we're occupied by God, and we're possessed by God to be as holy as he is. We become the holy city. So we can make this statement. We were chosen in Christ to be holy in eternity past. We are being sanctified, saturated with Christ. Now we could say saturated with Christ as the Holy Spirit. What I want to point out here is that in the Greek text, a number of times, instead of saying the Holy Spirit, it says the Spirit, the Holy. This is very significant, which shows that the Spirit, and our Spirit, He is the Holy, the Holy. So, again, we were chosen in Christ to be holy in eternity past. We are being sanctified, saturated with Christ as the Spirit, the Holy, to be holy in this age. And we will be consummated to be, be the holy city in the next age, that's in the millennial kingdom, and for eternity future. So this is what God is doing from eternity past across the bridge of time into eternity future. Now, um, at this point, I'd like to come to Roman numeral one, and Roman numeral one says, the will of God is our sanctification. To be sanctified is to be made holy, is to be made holy. Uh, and to be made holy, as we pointed out, is to be separated unto God and saturated with God as the Holy One. And as the Holy One, he is the one who is different, distinct from everything that is common. Now, we have some verses here that, that are very important. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3a says definitely and emphatically, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So the Lord, through Paul, tells us that sanctification, which is the process of our being saturated with God, occupied by God, and possessed by God as the Holy One to make us as holy as He is. Uh, this is what is taking place with us, and this is the will of God for us. Now, uh, I already spoke about 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, and now I would like to mention, and we'll come to this verse, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. These verses show us that everything that God is doing in our being and with us and in us is to sanctify us. These verses say, it's, Paul says this, and the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-O-L-L-Y, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then I like verse 24 very much. It says, faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. 
So we need to hold God to his word. Uh, God, through Paul, said that God is, is the faithful one who called us, and he will sanctify us. So we need to pray his will back to us to sanctify us. All right, now um, I'd like to mention one more thing, which I think is very significant. In the Bible, it calls the ones who believe into Christ and who have been regenerated with Christ's life, we are saints, saints. And it's very interesting. The Greek word for saints is the same Greek word that's used for holy. This Greek word is H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios. I might not be pronouncing it right, but it's hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. This can be translated holy, or this can be translated saints, which shows that as saints, we are the holy ones. As saints, we are the sanctified ones. This is how God views us, and this is what God wants us to be in reality, in reality. Now, um, let's see. Let me say this, and again, we'll see this in the outline. We're being made holy, and we pointed out to be holy is firstly to be separated unto God positionally. This is by means of the blood of Christ. Through his judicial redemption, he separates un him, us unto him positionally. And then he saturates us with him as the Holy One dispositionally in our spirit, soul, and body. This is his organic salvation by his divine life. So we have God's full salvation in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We have judicial redemption by the blood of Christ. We have organic salvation by the life of Christ and by of course, by Christ as the, the Spirit, the Holy. Okay, now a very important passage uh, in Roman numeral 1 is Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Uh, I've always been impressed with these three verses. I think these three verses, these cluster verses, are some of the most important verses in the Bible because they tell us uh, everything that Christ is, everything that Christ has done, and everything that Christ is doing. Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, what is this? This is Christ as our Redeemer. He gave himself up for us, right? He accomplished his judicial redemption to separate us unto God. Now we go to verse 26. Why did Christ love the church and give himself up for her? It says that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. So Christ died for us as our Redeemer, so that he could sanctify us, so that he could saturate us with himself, occupy us with himself, 
possess us with himself as the Holy One. So Hebrews 5.25 shows us that Christ is our Redeemer. In verse 26, we see Christ as the life-giving Spirit. And as the life-giving Spirit, he is accomplishing his He's accomplishing his organic salvation with us to make us holy in our spirit, soul, and body so that we become exactly the same as he is. So we can say verse 25 is judicial judicial redemption. Verse 26 is organic salvation. We can even say verse 26 is organic beautification. This is how Christ beautifies us to become his bride. He beautifies us with himself as the life-giving spirit through the washing of the water in his word, again, to make us as holy as he is. And the reason why we know this is his beautification is because verse 27 says that he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So the Lord wants a glorious church. He wants, glorious means he wants a God-expressing church. And he wants a church without spot or wrinkle. Spots are something of our natural life. He wants to wash all the spots of our natural life away. Wrinkles indicate oldness, oldness. He doesn't want us to be old in any way. He wants us to be fresh, new, living, young, active. And our freshness, our newness, our livingness, and our activeness is because we're filled with his fresh presence, his fresh holy presence. So again, in these three verses, we see Christ as our Redeemer, verse 25, Christ as a life-giving Spirit, verse 26, and then in verse 27, we see Christ as our Bridegroom. So we have judicial redemption, organic salvation, or organic beautification. Then in verse 27, we have Bride presentation. Bride presentation. Now, the way the Lord sanctifies us is by cleansing us by the washing of the water in the word. In this age, even in this meeting, we are in a washing process. We are enjoying the washing of the water in the word. Of course, this water is signifies the living water, the spirit as the living water. And the word here. The the Greek word for word here is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. You have two Greek Greek words for word. One is logos, which is the written word, the constant word. The other is rhema, which is the instant word, the spoken word, uh, the living up-to-date word that God speaks directly to us. This is why we pray read the word. This is why we take God's word and take it in a spirit and atmosphere of prayer and pray it back to the Lord, then this Logos is converted to Rhema. 
It's converted to a word. I'll, use, I'll say it in this way. It becomes God's word with our name on it, with our name on it. It's a specific, up-to-date, living, present, instant word to us personally and to us corporately. And this is the way the Lord sanctifies us so that we can become his glorious church, his glorious bride. And this is why we need to be in the word every day. This is why we need to be in the word of the ministry every day. Now, the word of the ministry, uh, I want to be clear about this, it does not replace the Bible. But what it does is it opens up the Bible. It brings us into the reality of the Bible. Um, it uh, it uh, releases the riches in the Bible. And so this is why we have so many verses on our outlines, because everything that we share has to be from the Bible. And, and praise the Lord, we have the New Testament ministry that opens up the Bible, that releases the riches in the Bible, and that, you know, actually converts this logos into rhema, something the Lord can speak to us instantly. All right, that brings us to Roman numeral 2, which said, and this is very important. This is what Brother Lee said was new light to him. It says Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and Hebrews 2, 10, and 11 shows that sanctification is for sonship. Actually, sanctification is God's sonizing. You know, Brother Lee coined this term. Sunizing. On the one hand, when we were born again, when Christ as the Son of the living God came into our spirit, our spirit was sunized. But he wants to sunize our soul, our mind, our emotion, and our will. Eventually he wants to sunize our body so that the whole the angels and the whole universe see us and they can testify. These are the sons of God uh, in, in, in our whole tripartite being. So sanctification is God's sonizing. Now, where do we get that from in the scriptures? We get it from Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, and Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. We read Hebrews 1, 4 and 5. I would like to, to uh, put two phrases together that show that sanctification is God's sonizing. These verses say, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, that God chose us to be holy unto sonship. So you have these phrases, to be holy unto sonship. Unto means resulting in. Why did God choose us to be holy? Because this results in sonship. This shows sanctification it's for sonship, sanctification results in sonship, and sanctification is God's sonizing. Now, Hebrews 2, 10 and 11, I, I think is even more clear because verse 10 says that the Lord is leading many sons into glory. That's what he's doing with us. Even in this meeting, he's leading us into glory. Isn't that wonderful? He's leading us into glory. Well, how does he do this? That's verse 10. We have to come to verse 11 to see how he leads us into glory. 
Well, of course, he leads us in the glory. That begins with regeneration, then uh, sanctification, then renewing, then transformation, then confirmation, then glorification, where we're fully glorified. That's him leading us into glory. Uh, now, how does he lead us into glory? Verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. The word one there means one father. But what I want to point out in these two verses is it says, leading men's, many sons into glory, and then it says, those who are being sanctified. How does God lead us into glory? He does it by sanctifying us, by sanctifying us. And we will see that every step of God's organic salvation is actually God's sanctifying us. And we'll see this as we go through the outline. Uh, now, A says, I pointed this out, we were chosen in eternity past to be holy unto, which means for or resulting in sonship. Then B says, the resurrected Christ is the captain of our salvation, leading many sons into glory by sanctifying them, by sanctifying them. Of course, if we allow God to sanctify us every day, we will grow in life. We will, the life that, that's within us, which is Christ himself, will grow within us until, uh, until our, the, our mind, when we set our mind on our spirit, our mind becomes life. Our mind, will, and emotion become life, according to Romans 8, 6. Then Romans 8, 11 says that eventually he gives life to our mortal body. So we need to grow in life every day. Actually, to grow in life is to be sanctified. We'll see this. Now, just in a practical sense, how can we grow in life every day? How can we be sanctified every day? I would just give you four practical points. Number one, we need to care for the sanctifying spirit speaking and working in our spirit. We need to care for our mingled spirit. The spirit who is mingled with our spirit is the sanctifying spirit. He's the spirit who makes us holy, who makes us the same as God is in his holy nature. And he is always speaking and working in our spirit. This is why we need to walk according to our spirit. We need to live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, move by the spirit, do everything by the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to minister the Spirit to one another. Everything in God's economy is taken care of by the sanctifying Spirit speaking and working in our spirit. That's the first point. Number two, uh, saints every day, and we may take this in a common way, but we shouldn't. Every day we need to read the Holy Word. Read the Holy Word. You know, in John 17, 17, the Lord Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So if we're going to be sanctified every day, we need to be in God's Word. In God's Word. Thank the Lord we have the Bible. And if we get into the Bible in a spirit and atmosphere of prayer, that 
Logos, that constant word, that written word, will be converted into rhema, which is God's instant, present, living, speaking to us. And that is what sanctifies us. That's why Ephesians 6, 17 and 18 says we need to receive the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the Word of God by means of all prayer and petition. This is the way we receive the Word. Uh, we, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. We receive the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the Word of God. How do we receive that Word of God? We receive it by means of all prayer, various kinds of prayer and petition, which is uh, specific prayer for things. And it's by reading the Holy Word in a spirit and atmosphere prayer that we grow in life and we get sanctified. Now, the third, third item is this. We need to listen to the spiritual speaking. Of course, in this meeting, thank the Lord, we're listening to the spiritual speaking. And this is why, you know, in Revelation 2 and 3, where we see that God is calling for the overcomers. That's his call. He wants us to be his overcomers, his overcoming bride. And he says again and again, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we always need to pray, Lord, give me an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches. So we need to always listen to the spiritual speaking of God, whether it's in a ministry meeting, a church meeting, a vital group meeting, a meeting with one brother, two brothers, or a few sisters, a, a, a small group meeting, the Lord is always speaking to us through the members of his body. Now, the fourth item I would like to mention, and these are basic items, but they're very important, and the enemy always tries to I would use the word erode, E-R-O-D-E, -E, erode these things in our practice. The fourth item is we need to come to the meetings. Come to the meetings. You know, in Psalm 73, this is one of my favorite psalms, because if you read the first part of the psalm, the psalmist is uh, he's somewhat complaining to the Lord. He's, he's looking at the situation, and um, of course, this is, this is my exposition, my, which isn't, maybe isn't so good, but this is the point of the first half of the psalm, is that he's looking at people who aren't seeking God, who you could say are evil, and he thinks they're prospering. He says, look at them. They don't seek you. They don't love you, but they're prospering. And then he says, but look at me. I'm seeking you. I love you. And I'm suffering every day. But here's what happens. Eventually you come to verse 17 of Psalm 73. Actually in verse 16, he says, he says something like this. This was too difficult for me to understand. I couldn't understand this. Then verse 17 says, it has the word until. That word until is a big word. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now, what is the sanctuary of God? On the one hand, 
we can say the sanctuary of God, the habitation of God is our spirit. On the other hand, we can say the sanctuary of God, the house of God is the church. Particularly, the church practically is the church meetings. So when we when we uh, go into, enter into our spirit, and we enter into the church meetings, uh, we get sanctified by God. What happens is, and this is our experience, is when we come to the meetings, we always get divine revelation. And we always get the explanation to all our problems. It's just amazing. All of us experience this, but many times, maybe even in this meeting, uh, someone will be speaking something that isn't even related to our problem. But because the Lord's presence is there in his speaking, his holy presence is there in his speaking, we get the explanation to all our problems. That is just wonderful. So we need to have a habit of coming to the meetings. Now we come to Roman numeral 3, uh, which is very important to see. This verse says, there are three aspects of sanctification in the scriptures. A says, firstly, there is the spirit sanctification in seeking the God-chosen people before they repent and believe. We call this the Spirit's seeking sanctification. And you can see this in 1 Peter 1.2. 1 Peter 1.2 says that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's in eternity past. And then it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That's on the bridge of time. And then this sanctification of the Spirit is unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, this sanctification of the Spirit is before we believe and receive, we obey the gospel and we receive the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, for that to happen to us, we needed the seeking sanctification of the Spirit. And we can all testify that this happened to us. You know, the first word of the gospel in the book of Genesis is in Genesis 3.9. And in Genesis 3.9, after man fell, God asked this question. And this question embodies the Spirit seeking sanctification. God asked this question to man. He said, where are you? Where are you? Now, before we were uh, regenerated, before we received the Lord as our life and Savior, I can testify that many times there was a, a, an unconscious speaking in me saying, Ed, where are you? Where are you right now? What happened to you? Uh, anyway, I, I won't get into my whole history, but... But it's like, where are you? Uh, you're in a place, you, you're, you're not. This is not the meaning of your life. What is the meaning of your human life? Where are you? This is what the Spirit speaks to us. And we can see this, uh, you know, if we look at Luke, Luke 15, 
we can see the Spirit seeking sanctification. What you have here is you have, firstly, you have uh, the Lord tells this parable, these three stories, showing the saving love of the triune God for sinners. The first story is the story of a lost sheep. And the shepherd goes and he leaves about 100 sheep. I'm sorry, uh, one sheep is missing. There's 99 left. He doesn't say, oh, I have 99 left. There's just one missing. No, he goes after that one. That's how the Lord is with us. If we go away from him, he will seek us out. He, He went after this lost sheep. This shows the work of his redemption. He put this lost sheep on his shoulders. He brought it back, and he told the people that he knew to rejoice with him, to rejoice with him, because the lost sheep got found. Now, the second uh, story that the Lord tells is about this woman who has 10 silver coins. And it says if she loses one silver coin, What she does is she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she seeks carefully until she finds it. I like this word until. Listen, don't get discouraged when you're praying for someone to get saved because the Spirit is seeking them carefully until. There will be an until in their lives until she finds it. Eventually, she finds it, and she tells her neighbors, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. And and the Lord says this, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner repenting. So, in this story, the, the, the seeking, the spirit, in his seeking, in, in, in the Spirit's seek, seeking sanctification is signified by a woman with a broom, by a woman with a broom. So this woman, she sweeps the house. That means she's, the Spirit searches and cleanses our inward parts. And the Spirit uh, lights a lamp. That means the Spirit uses the Word of God to uh, illuminate and expose our position and our condition. So that's what happened to us by the Spirit seeking sanctification. Now the third story in Luke 15 we know is about what many people call the prodigal son. He, he, got, he wanted uh, his father to give him his inheritance in advance He went away, and he spent all of what his father gave him, which was a big inheritance. And just at that time, there was a big famine in the land. And saints, when we're praying for people, uh, sometimes when they're at their lowest, it will become worse. Don't be discouraged with that. That is the Lord working in their environment to make them desperate. So... uh, he, uh, he eventually got to a point where um, he lost all of his money, lost everything, 
And then there was a famine in the land. He found himself uh, actually working for a person who raised pigs. Of course, to Jewish people, pigs are unclean animals. And he was eating the same food that the pigs were eating. And then uh, in verse 17 of Luke 15, it says he came to himself. He came to himself. And he said this. It says he came to himself and he said, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? If I were back in my father's house, uh, I would have, I would be able to eat. I would be clothed properly. I would be sheltered properly. That's because he came to himself. That was because of the spirit seeking sanctification. So we have the son's redemption based on the son's redemption. We have the spirit seeking us as a lost coin. And then we have the father receiving us as a lost son. Well, this lost son came to himself and then he went back to his father. He said, I will go to my father and I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, make me one of your servants, something like this. Well, as he was coming down the road to his father, the father recognized him from a long way off. You know, sometimes if you know a person well, you can from a long way off, you can recognize that's Ed Marks. Of course, because I'm such a big person, if you know me, I'm easy to recognize from a long way off. But he recognized his son because he knew him. And because he recognized him, he ran to him. And he kissed him affectionately, embraced him. And the son began to share his speech that he had worked up. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupted him. He said to his servants, he said, bring out the best robe. Bring out the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. What does the best robe signify? It signifies Christ as the God-satisfying righteousness to cover the penitent sinner. That is to be separated unto God, positionally. Then the ring signifies the sealing spirit. The sandals signify the power of God's salvation to separate us from this dirty dirty earth or this dirty world. Well, this prodigal son was very hungry. So the father says, let us kill the fattened calf and let us eat and be merry. So what you have in this parable, parable, in these three stories, you see God's judicial redemption with the shepherd finding the lost sheep. You see the seeking sanctification with the woman seeking the lost coin. And then you see the Spirit's dispositional sanctification saturating us by our feasting on Christ as the fattened calf in God's house, which is the church. It's really quite remarkable when you consider this. 
So you have the spirit seeking sanctification. This is A. B says there is the positional sanctification by the blood of Christ at the time of the believer's believing. These verses from Hebrews tell us this. Then C says there is the spirit's dispositional sanctification in the believer's full course of their Christian life. Now, what we need to realize from this statement is that the carrying out of the eternal economy of God is by the Spirit's sanctification. Because 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us unequivocally that what the Lord is doing is he's sanctifying our entire tripartite being, our spirit and soul and body. He's making our, when he comes into us, he makes our spirit holy. When he enters into our mind, will, and emotion, our soul becomes holy. When he invades our body, our body becomes holy. So our entire tripartite being becomes as holy as he is holy, and we become the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So, um, again, C says there is the Spirit's dispositional sanctification. That's the Spirit occupying us, possessing us, and saturating us in the believer's full course of our Christian life. Now, what I like very much, you have 1 Thessalonians 5.23, verse 24 says, Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. I pointed this out already. We need to hold the Lord to his word and say, Lord, you said you would do this. Do this in me, Lord. Do this in the brothers and the sisters. All right, now let's come to Roman numeral 4. Roman numeral 4 says the divine sanctification for the divine sonship is the center of the divine economy and the central thought of the revelation in the New Testament. Now that is a great, great statement. So we need to see this matter. Now A says, the divine sanctification is the holding line in the carrying out of the divine economy to sunize us divinely, making us sons of God that we may become the same as God in his life and in his nature, but not in his Godhead, so that we may be God's expression. Now, notice these words, the holding line. The divine sanctification is the holding line in the carrying out of God's economy to sunize us divinely. Now, I would use this example. It's almost like fishing. When you go fishing, you know, the Lord told uh, Peter, he said, I will make you and the ones with you, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you men, people who catch men alive for the gospel. Well, that's what we do when we preach the gospel. Now, when you go fishing, there's a hook and there's a line. There's a line, right? A fishing line and then a hook. Well, uh, Sanctification is the holding line in the carrying out of God's economy. Now, when the Lord caught us, we can say he hooked us. He hooked us. We, we took the bait, and he hooked us. Now, sometimes, you know, you catch a fish, 
and the fish may decide he's going to run away. And so he swims. He doesn't realize. The fisherman has control of him. So right away the fisherman will pull the, you know, his fishing rod back and start reeling the fish in, right? And eventually he reels the fish in until the fish is fully comes back to him. Well, this is what the triune God is doing with us. He's hooked us through regeneration, and he's reeling us in to himself by his dispositional sanctification until we become exactly the same as he is. Now, B says it more clearly. It says, we may say that sanctification is the holding line. Listen to this. Because every step of God's work with us is to make us holy. We saw this in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it's very clear that every step of God's work with us is to make us holy. Okay, now, um, you know, I, I encourage you to read these verses for time's sake. I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time to read every verse. But on the one hand, God is dispensing his holy nature into us. He's dispensing himself as the Holy One into us to possess us, occupy us, and saturate us. In Hebrews 12, he points out that he points out the discipline of the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, you have the dispensing of the Holy Spirit within us. On the other hand, you have the discipline of the Holy Spirit in our environment. And in our environment, what the Lord is doing, according to Hebrews 12, 4 through 14, is we're going through the discipline of the Spirit. And, you know, Paul points out here that just as we were in subjection to our earthly father, he said, how much more should we respect and be in subjection to the father of our spirit? Father of our spirit is our discipliner. How is he our discipliner? Well, in our environment, he uses our environment to tear down every aspect of our natural being and our natural man so that he has the room in us to rebuild us, restructure us, and remodel us with himself as the triune God embodied in Christ and realized as the Holy Spirit to make us as holy as he is. All right, now let's come to one. And under, under this point, we'll see that every step in God's economy is a step to sanctify us, dispositionally. First, you have positional. You have the seeking sanctification. You have the positional sanctification. Then you have the dispositional sanctification. Now, one says the seeking sanctification, the initial sanctification, is unto repentance to bring us back to God. We spoke about this. Now, two says the redeeming sanctification, the positional sanctification by the blood of Christ um, is by the blood of Christ to transfer us from Adam to Christ. 
Then three says, the regenerating sanctification. Praise the Lord for the regenerating sanctification. This is the beginning of dispositional sanctification, and this renews us from our spirit to make us the sinners, sons of God. And when we're made sons of God, we are made a new creation with the divine life and the divine nature. So praise the Lord, we used to be the old creation, but now we're a new creation because of God's regenerating sanctification. Now, um, four goes on to talk about the renewing sanctification. And this is the continuation of dispositional sanctification. And this renewing sanctification renews our soul from our mind through all the parts of our soul to make our soul a part of God's new creation. So again, he wants to renew us day by day. Romans 12.2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of the mind. And Ephesians 4.23 charges us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That means God, the spirit mingled with our spirit, desires to spread into our mind to become the spirit of our mind. In other words, the mingled spirit, uh, the spirit mingled with our human spirit wants to saturate our mind, possess our mind, control our mind, govern our mind, saturate our mind until this mingled spirit becomes the spirit of our mind. And we need to allow him to do this. Now, I like Romans 6.4 and Romans 7.6. And I, I, there's a prayer in me every day over these verses. And I frequently pray. You know, in Romans 8.2, it talks about the law of the spirit of life. Well, we need to realize that Christ himself is now a law within us. He's the law of the spirit of life. When he entered into resurrection, he became a law. What is a law? A law is a spontaneous power. A law is an automatic principle. So, by the law, by Christ, as the law of the spirit of life, we can say, Lord, cause me to walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6, 4. And then Romans 7, 6, we can say, Lord, cause me, as the law of the spirit of life, to serve in newness of spirit, not in oldness of letter. I especially had to pray this before coming here, that I would serve in newness of spirit today. Now, in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, this points out that when we received the Lord, when we, regen we, were, when we were regenerated and we began to be renewed, we, God gave us a new heart. God gave us a new spirit. He gave us a new heart to love him. He gave us a new spirit to contact him. I still remember, uh, you know, after I received the Lord, spontaneously you love the Lord. You become a different person. You have a heart that loves the Lord. You have a new spirit. Your spirit has regained its function to contact the Lord. Not only that, 
the Lord says this, I will put my spirit within you. So we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. We have God's spirit within us. And then he says this, this is remarkable. He says, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. He doesn't say, and you shall walk in my statutes. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. What does that mean? It means he causes us as the law of the spirit of life, as that spontaneous power, as that automatic principle. He caught, when we switch him on as the divine electricity, when we pray, when we call on the Lord, when we pray, read the word, when we're in a meeting like this, we switch on the law of the spirit of life in our spirit, and he causes us spontaneously and automatically to walk in his spirits, in his statutes, according to our spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us not to lose heart, because even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. That means that day by day, we are receiving the fresh supply of Christ as the resurrection life. And Paul goes on to say at the end, he said, this is because we do not regard the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Because the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. One time, Brother Lee made a statement that greatly touched me. He said, the Lord's recovery is to recover us from things seen to things unseen. I like that. From things seen to things unseen. That's why in 1 Peter, uh, Peter says this, whom having not seen, you love. You don't see him physically, but you love him. He's very real to you. You don't have to see him physically because he's the spirit in your spirit. He's very real to you. So even though you haven't seen him in the physical realm, you love him and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now we come to number five. Five speaks of the transforming sanctification, which is the daily sanctification. This reconstitutes us with the element of Christ metabolically to make us a new constitution as a part of the organic body of Christ. Of course, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a great verse on transformation. This tells us that we need to have an unveiled face. Well, you have to go back to verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 3 to see how this takes place. Because in verse 16, Paul says, whenever, I like that word, when, ver, that, that word, whenever. Whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. That shows that actually our turned away heart is the veil. The Lord lives in our spirit. We, our heart, our mind, eventually our mind and motion and will, the main arteries of our spirit, surround, our heart surrounds our spirit. Uh, we will see that our spirit is the hidden man of our heart. That means our spirit is within our heart. And so, and so when we turn our heart to the Lord, we are turning our heart to the Lord as the spirit in our spirit. 
So when we turn our heart to them, we have an unveiled face. And with an unveiled face, we are beholding him and we are reflecting him. We're beholding him for ourselves and we're reflecting him into others. So we're beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. And while we're doing this, we are being transformed from glory to glory. That means from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. So saints, um, I would just say this, you know, transformation we can define as a, meta, as a metabolic change in our natural life with the divine life. But that's a big miracle to be transformed. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we reach maturity, which is the consummate stage of our sanctification and our growth in the divine life, that is to be filled with the divine life that changes us, that changes us. But every day, we want to be metabolic changed, metabolically changed in our natural life with the divine life. Now, I would just like to say this at this point, and uh, I, I wish I had put this quote in a frame. Uh, this is from the ministry. It's wonderful. And it says this, the highest profession on earth is to spend time being infused with God so that you can glow with God and shine forth God. Saints, every day, spend personal time with God. That's the highest profession on earth. Before you contact anyone, before you work together with God, spend time to be infused with God. That's the highest profession on earth, is to spend time to be infused with God. And I like this word, so that you can glow, G-L-O-W. We all need to be people who glow, glow with God to shine forth God into others. Now we come to six. Six speaks of the conforming sanctification, which is the shaping sanctification. This shapes us in the image of the glorious Christ to make us the expression of Christ. Then finally, seven says, the glorifying sanctification, which is the consummating sanctification, redeems our body by transfiguring it to make us Christ's expression in full and in glory. So Philippians 3.21 says he transfigures the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of his glory. Now, the reason why uh, the Lord through Paul talks about our body being the body of our humiliation is because our, our body, which was originally created pure by God, became contaminated with sin. And so our body, which is the flesh now, is full of sin, weakness, sickness, and death. But eventually, the divine life will swallow up. 2 Corinthians 5.4 says that when the divine life invades our mortal body, it says what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Actually, this is a good prayer to pray every day. Lord, I like to be swallowed up by life today. And then we'll, we will be swallowed up by life 
when we're transfigured. Now we come to C. C says, the divine dispositional sanctification is carried out by Christ as the sanctifying spirit in our spirit. Of course, Romans 8, 6 tells us to set our mind on the spirit. It says the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What does it mean to set our mind on the spirit? To set our mind on the spirit is to take heed to our spirit. Malachi 2, 15 and 16 says twice, take heed to your spirit. I like these, these words. To set our mind on the spirit is to pay attention to our spirit. Pay attention to the sanctifying spirit speaking and working in our spirit. That brings us to Roman numeral 5, which says, in order to live a holy life for the church life, we need the Lord to establish our heart blameless in holiness. This is what 1 Thessalonians 3.13 tells us. Now, A says this, our heart is a composition of all the parts of our soul, the mind, the emotion, and the will, plus one part of our spirit, which is the conscience. All these verses show us this. B goes on to say, the heart is the entrance and exit of life, the switch of life. So, you know, lots of times we, I would say most of the time, we talk about our spirit, and our spirit is so crucial. We have to pay attention to our spirit. We have to use our spirit. We have to exercise our spirit. But we also have to exercise our heart in a proper way. We have to turn our heart to the Lord every moment, day by day. And it says this, it goes on to say, if the heart is not right, life in the spirit is hindered. And the law of life cannot work freely and without obstruction to reach every part of our being. Then it goes on to say, though the life, though life has great power, this great power is controlled by our small heart. Again, I would say, 1 Peter 3, 4 speaks of our spirit as the hidden man of our heart. So if our heart isn't open, and if our heart isn't proper, the, law, the Christ as the law of the spirit of life can't spread out from our spirit into our heart. That's why Philippians 4.23, I'm sorry, Proverbs 4.23 charges us. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, are the issues of life. And again, the law of life in our spirit is the spontaneous power of life. It's the automatic principle of life. It's just like the law of gravity. I use that as an example. If I take this Bible, and if I were to, if I, I'll, I'll put it down lower, if I remove my hand, the law of gravity will work automatically, right? I don't have to, be concerned that when I remove my hand, the Bible's going to stay here, right? Because gravity is operating as a law. Gravity is a spontaneous power. Gravity is an automatic principle. So if I do this, the Bible falls to the desk. In the same way, when we enjoy the Lord, we call on the Lord, we pray on the Lord, pray to the Lord, spontaneously, automatically, even unconsciously, 
the law of life operates within us to dispense Christ as the Holy Spirit of life into our tripartite being. Now, C says this, God is the unchanging one, but according to our natural birth, our heart is changeable, both in our relationship with others and with the Lord. Of course, a good example of this is 2 Timothy 4.10, which talks about one of Paul's intimate co-workers. His name was Demas. And we've seen in our history uh, so-called co-workers, you know, they, tragically, they left the recovery. Uh, they, they, they left the ministry. And this is not a matter of a particular person. You know, we believe with all our heart that by the Lord's mercy, the Lord has recovered us back to the ministry of the New Testament. We don't want to leave that ministry. That is the ministry of God's eternal economy. That is the ministry of the new covenant. The Lord has recovered us to that ministry. And so Demas, as Paul's co-worker, he says, Demas has abandoned me. Now that would be very disheartening. So it says, Demas has abandoned me, having loved the present age. So because Demas loved the world, he abandoned Paul. But you know, because Paul had such a heavenly vision of God's economy, nothing discouraged him. Because even if people change, the vision of God's economy never changes. This is what we're talking about in this outline is how God carries out his economy. Now, D says this, there is no one who, according to his natural human life, is steadfast in his heart. Because our heart changes so easily, it is not at all trustworthy. So we shouldn't trust in ourselves, in our natural self. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and is incurable. That's a strong word. Our heart is incurable in the natural realm. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Cushite change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then you also may be able to do good who are accustomed to do evil. So we're like a leopard with spots. We can't how are those spots going to be removed? Well, what this shows is that in our, in our natural being, our heart is incurable and our nature is unchangeable. But thank the Lord that in Jeremiah 31-33, the Lord works in us to write his law on our hearts. And his law here is the law of life the law of the spirit of life. He is actually writing, inscribing the law of life in, in our mind, emotion, will, and conscience to dispense his holy life into us and his holy nature into us to sanctify us, to make our incurable heart in the natural realm curable in the divine and mystical realm to change our unchangeable nature in the natural realm into a transformed, sanctified nature 
in the divine and mystical realm. So he says, our heart is blamable because it is changeable. An unchanging heart is a blameless heart. F says, in God's salvation, the renewing of the heart is once for all. However, in our experience, our heart is renewed continually because it is changeable. G says, because our heart is changeable, it needs to be renewed continually by the sanctifying spirit so that our heart can be established and built up in the state of being holy. And the state of being holy is being separated unto God, being occupied by God, being possessed by God, and being saturated with God. And I encourage you to read all these verses. All these verses show us this matter. Now we come to H. H says this, As our heart is being established blameless in holiness by the continual renewing of the sanctifying spirit, we are becoming the new Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, we are not going to the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is not a place. The New Jerusalem is a person. We are becoming the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is the bride of the Lamb. The New Jerusalem is the wife of the Lamb. The New Jerusalem is a great God-man. And we are becoming the New Jerusalem by the Lord's continual process of renewing us by the sanctifying spirit. And so we're becoming the new Jerusalem with the newness of the divine life, and we are becoming the holy city with the holiness of the divine nature. Now let's come to Roman numeral 6. Roman numeral 6 says, now I realize, brothers and sisters, this outline is very comprehensive it gives you a uh, panoramic view, a total vista of sanctification as the will of God. I'd like you to have this. You can always go back to this and refer to it and pray short prayers over it, and these points will become your reality. Now, Romans numeral 6, we read this verse, the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. A says the God of peace is the sanctifier. His sanctification brings in peace. When we are wholly sanctified by him from within, we have peace with him and peace with man in every way. Isn't that wonderful? Now, it's interesting, in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, it tells us to be at peace among ourselves. Well, how can we do this? We need the God of peace to sanctify us continually. You know, brothers and sisters, I really like 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Uh, I remember one time that I, in following the Lord, I was being sent by the Lord in the work to a certain place to, to minister the word. And uh, I, I felt some anxiety rising up within me. And 
Immediately, the Lord directed me to this verse. And this verse says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace continually in every way. The Lord be with you all. So I prayed that back to the Lord. I said, Lord, thank you. You're the Lord of peace. And as the Lord of peace himself, I just ask you to give me peace continually in every way and that you would be with me in every way in all things. Anyway, that that verse just dispelled any anxiety in my being, gave me the full peace, and sanctified me because the God of peace is our sanctifier. Now, B says God desires to sanctify us, and he himself will do it as long as we are willing to pursue him as holiness and cooperate with him. In this way, we can be holy as he is holy. Without holiness, we cannot see him. This is Hebrews 12, 14. Now, C says, by sanctifying us, God transforms us in the essence of our spirit, soul, and body, making us holy like him in nature. In this way, he preserves our spirit, soul, and body holy, complete. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says he sanctifies us holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. This is, this is quantitative. This is according to quantity. But then it says, that we may be preserved complete. That word complete is qualitative. Is qualitative. That means in quality. So, it, he, quantitatively, he wants us to be exactly the same as he is. Qualitatively, he wants us to be exactly the same as he is in our holy nature, in his holy nature. Now, one says, through the fall, our body was ruined, our soul was contaminated, and our spirit was deadened. In God's full salvation, our entire being is saved and made complete and perfect. Two says, for this, God is preserving our spirit from any deadening element. Brothers and sisters, always reject any kind of deadness, any kind of death, any kind of deadening element. And thank the Lord, we just need to cooperate with God because he's preserving our spirit from any deadening element. He's preserving our soul from remaining natural and old, and he's preserving our body from the ruin of sin. Three says, such a preservation by God and his thorough sanctification sustain us to live a holy life unto maturity so that we may meet the Lord in his coming, in his coming. And four says, quantitatively, quantitatively, God sanctifies us wholly. Qualitatively, God preserves us complete. That is, he keeps our spirit, soul, and body perfect. Now, again, we pointed out that transformation is to be metabolically changed, in our natural life, whereas maturity is the last stage of transformation, and that's to be filled with the divine life that changes us. So, uh, five points out 
that although God preserves us, we need to take the responsibility, the initiative to cooperate with his operation, to be preserved by keeping our spirit, soul, and body in the saturating of the Holy Spirit. And of course, all these verses show us this. If you, if you read, if you start with verse 12 and go all the way to verse 24, you can see how we can cooperate with the sanctifying spirit, uh, speaking and working in our spirit. These verses are very, very precious. Uh, I'll just point out some of the things. Uh, it says, it's, it charges us to console the faint-hearted, to sustain the weak, to be long-suffering toward all. And it says to admonish the disorderly. Well, what does this show? It shows that the, the church is like a hospital. Uh, the, the church is full of disorderly ones, faint-hearted ones, weak ones, ones whom you need to be long-suffering toward. We're those ones. So the disorderly are ones who are undisciplined, unruled, uh, we can say rebellious, even busybodies. Some are faint-hearted. That means they're little-souled or they're, fair, they're narrow and feeble in their soul. Some are weak. You shouldn't criticize the weak. You should sustain the weak. And what does weak mean here? It means weak in spirit, weak in soul, weak in body, or weak in the faith. And you need to be long-suffering toward all. What that means is all the members may be a problem in some way. And that includes all of us. And if we cooperate with the Lord to allow him to live through us, we realize he's the only one who could take care of, this, of the disorderly, the faint-hearted, the weak, uh, the ones whom we need to be long-suffering toward. We need to allow him to live through us as the great physician to care for all the dear saints. Then, you know, I, I don't have much time, but it tells us to always rejoice, unceasingly pray, and everything give thanks. Listen to this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we said the will of God is our sanctification. But here it says, the will of God is that we always rejoice, unceasingly pray, and in everything give thanks. Well, the reason why it says this is because this is our practical moment-by-moment -moment sanctification. How are we possessed by God, saturated with God, occupied by God, to be as holy as he is? Well, we know that's the will of God, but the practicality of that will, the moment-by-moment -moment experience of that will, is for us to always rejoice is for us to unceasingly pray, is, is for us to give thanks in everything because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I have to say that today, you know, we, we have to practice this every day, every moment. But I remember specifically today, I really enjoyed thanking the Lord, saying thank you, Lord Jesus, for another day to enjoy you. Thank you for another day to experience you. Thank you, Lord, that today 
I have the privilege of serving you in my spirit again. A great, great privilege, and we need to thank the Lord continually. Now, Roman numeral 7 says, in order to cooperate with God to preserve our spirit in sanctification, we must keep our spirit in a living condition by exercising our spirit. And this is 1 Timothy 4, 7. This, this verse says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Godliness is God manifest, manifested in the flesh. We could say godliness is God-likeness. According to the context of this verse, this means to exercise our spirit, resulting in God being expressed through us. Um, brothers and sisters, in what, we need the Lord to teach us to exercise our spirit at all times in all things, especially when you prophesy. The number one thing is to exercise your spirit. I still remember, Brother Lee, uh, even among us co-workers, uh, this was years ago, uh, one of the dear co-workers, he was speaking. I was sitting next to Brother Lee, and this brother was speaking, and he said to the brother in front of everyone, and Brother Lee had the ground to do that, he said, Brother, exercise your spirit. Exercise your spirit. Oh, I got, I got so touched by that. Because I realized the primary thing in our speaking, number one, is exercise your spirit. I tell the trainees, if you're speaking and you feel like you're going down in flames, you know, like a plane going down in flames, go down in flames exercising your spirit. Even if you, if you think, I spoke the wrong thing, I wanted to share one, two, and three, I forgot what one was, I only shared three, then I shared five and six, and I, I mixed up everything. But if you exercise your spirit, the saints will get something. Of course, I'm not saying you should sacrifice the truth. Not at all. We need to be trained in that. But primarily, always take care of exercising your spirit. Now, A says, in order to preserve our spirit, we must keep our spirit living by exercising it to have fellowship with God. If we fail to exercise our spirit in this way, we will leave it in a deadened situation. One says, to rejoice, pray, and give thanks are to exercise our spirit. Isn't that wonderful? To say praise the Lord, to pray, to say thank you, Lord. That's exercising your spirit. To preserve our spirit is, first of all, to exercise our spirit. Listen, to keep our spirit living and to pull it out of death. We need to pull our spirit out of death by exercising it. Two says we need to cooperate with the sanctifying God to be separated from a spirit-deadening situation. Of course, this refers, number six, to the Nazarite vow, which means you're separated unto God from uh, natural relationships worldly pleasure, rebellion, and death. You're separated unto God in this way. So we need to have this kind of consecration to God so that we're separated from a spirit-deadening situation. Three says, we must worship God, serve God, and fellowship with God in and with our spirit. 
whatever we are, whatever we have, and whatever we do toward God must be in our spirit. Then B says, in order to preserve our spirit, we need to keep it from all defilement and contamination. Now, 2 Corinthians 7.1 tells us this. It says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I like these words at the end, in the fear of God. Now, in, in Isaiah 11.2, it shows us that Christ as a man was filled with the spirit. What kind of spirit? The spirit of the fear of Jehovah. The spirit. In other words, when you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with the, with the fear of Jehovah. In Psalm 86.11, the psalmist says, Lord, make my heart single in fearing your name. Now, what does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. To fear God means to revere God. To fear God means we consider God and honor God in everything. To fear God stops us from doing evil. To fear God means we are in fear of offending him, and our ultimate fear is we're in fear of losing his presence. We do not want to lose his presence. If we lose his presence, we want to do whatever we can to get, get it back. His presence means everything to us. Now, C says, in order to preserve our spirit, we must exercise ourselves to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. D says, in order to preserve our spirit, we must take heed to our spirit, setting our mind on the spirit and caring for the rest in our spirit. Now we come to Roman numeral 8. It says, in order to cooperate with God, to preserve our soul in sanctification. So we talked about preserving our spirit in sanctification. Now we're going to talk about preserving our soul in sanctification. Then we're going to talk about preserving our body in sanctification. Very, very helpful. So in order to preserve our soul in sanctification, we must clear the three main arteries of our psychological heart. These are the parts of our soul, our mind, emotion, and will. And uh, saints, if we're going to clear the main arteries of our psychological heart, I would just make a simple statement. We need to give ourselves to enjoy the Lord. Every day, one of the first things you should say is, Lord, I consecrate my whole being to you simply to enjoy you today. Psalm 43, 4, the psalmist says, I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of Jehovah is our strength. John, John 1, 4, in 1 John 1, 4, John says to the saints, he goes, we write these things to you that our joy may be made full. In Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah says, your words were found, and I ate them. Now, when we really eat God's words, his words become to us the gladness and joy of our heart. 
So, brothers and sisters, every day we need to maintain our joy, our enjoyment of Christ. Now, A says, in order for our soul to be sanctified, our mind must be renewed to be the mind of Christ. Our emotion must be touched and saturated with the love of Christ. Our will must be subdued by and infused with the resurrected Christ, and we must love the Lord with our whole being. Isn't that that's a wonderful statement, I feel. We should pray over that statement. Now, B says this, the way to unclog the three main arteries of our psychological heart is to make a thorough confession to the Lord. We need to stay with the Lord for a period of time, asking him to bring us fully into the light and in the light of what he exposes. We need to confess our defects, failures, defeats, mistakes, wrongdoings, and sins. When we do this, this unclogs the main arteries of our hearts. So one says, in order to unclog the artery of our mind, we need to confess everything that is sinful in our thoughts and in our way of thinking. Two says, in order to, un- in order to unclog the artery of our will, we need to confess the germs of rebellion in our will. Three says, in order to unclog the artery of our motion, we need to confess the natural and even fleshly way that we have expressed our joy and sorrow. Also, in many cases, we hate what we should love and we love what we should hate. You know, in Revelation 2.6, the Lord says, he says, you have one thing. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate which shows that we need to have the Lord's hate dispensed into us so that it becomes our hate. And, of course, that signifies the clergy lady system. Now, if we come to 4, 4 says, if we take the time necessary to unclog the three main arteries of our psychological heart, we will have the sense that our entire being has become living, and is in a very healthy condition. Now, what does it mean to be healthy? To be healthy is to be vital. You know, we talk about the vital groups. To be healthy spiritually is to be vital. And to be vital, well, we can say this. If we want to define the word vital spiritually, to be vital is to be living, is to be active, and to be healthy. That's what we need to be as vital groups. Okay, now finally, we come to Roman numeral 9, which speaks of this. In order to cooperate with God to preserve our body in sanctification, we must present our body to him so that we may live a holy life for the church life, practicing the body life in order to carry out God's perfect will. A says, Our fallen body, the flesh, is the meeting hall of Satan, sin, and death. And this meeting will not be dismissed until we're transfigured. We need to realize this. This goes on to say, but by Christ's redemption and in the regenerated spirit, there's another meeting hall. That's the meeting hall of the Father, the Son, 
and the spirit. And that meeting hall is our regenerated spirit. And, and our body is a member of Christ and a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to cooperate with God to preserve our body in sanctification by remaining in our spirit to, to enter into the reality of our body being a member of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, now let's come to B. B says to preserve our body is to glorify God in our body. C says to preserve our body is to magnify Christ in our body. These are simple prayers we can pray. Lord, I pray that today I would glorify you in my body. I pray that today I would magnify you in my body. That means I would declare you to be great in my body. I would exalt you in my body. I would extol you in my body. D says to preserve our body, we must not live according to our soul, the old man. Then the body of sin will lose its job and become unemployed. E says to preserve our body, we must not present our body to anything that is sinful, but instead present ourselves as slaves to righteousness and our members as weapons of unrighteousness. Praise the Lord that in this meeting we have presented our bodies to the Lord, our members to the Lord as weapons of righteousness. Finally, we come to F. It says to preserve our body, we must buffet it and lead it as a slave to fulfill our holy purpose to become the holy city. Now, to buffet our body means that we subdue our body and make it a conquered captive to serve us as a slave for, for fulfilling our holy purpose. This is to preserve our spirit, soul, and body in sanctification. This is for us to be sanctified in our spirit, soul, and body to become exactly the same as God is in his holy nature, to become fully saturated by him, to be fully occupied with him, fully possessed by him, to become the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is the will of God, and this is our sanctification. Praise the Lord. We can stop here.